I'm gonna roll some weed while we're talking, okay? And I'm gonna smoke it. If that's okay. Wow. Is that this this like the type of show or no? I have no idea. You tell me. You're listening to Well Made, a podcast from Lumi about the future of e-commerce. I'm your host, Stefan Ango. David Hua, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Can you give us some audio uh, of what you're doing here? Let, get, get into the microphone. <laughs> what are you up to over there? I am grinding uh, some cannabis from Gold Seal, uh, a producer in San Francisco. We just had a tasting uh, seminar on, on Friday, and I am looking at item T2, which is a tangy cross uh, that is really purple and smells like oranges. So, you know, I kind of do a little mixology. I, I'm adding a little bit of red Congo ice water hash to it to just give it a little bit of jolt. So you're the founder of Meadow. If people don't know much about Meadow, do you want to describe it in a couple sentences? Yeah, yeah. Meadow builds software for the California cannabis industry, um, primarily powering online uh, commerce as well as point of sale. Uh, so if you're going to a dispensary or you're getting a delivery, uh, Meadow, uh, it's powered by Meadow, could be powered by Meadow. So we went through Y Combinator now almost exactly three years ago, Woo! 2015. That's crazy, and, isn't it? Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I'm a total square. I, <laughs> I went to college in Colorado uh, in like one of the, the liberal arts schools where like pot was super popular. And then the thing I did right after that is live in the Netherlands. And I have never had pot. Ever? Uh, no, not a single time. I, I, I'm sure I've, 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 wait, where'd you uh, grow up? Smelled in France. What? Yeah, I don't know. It didn't, I don't know. In any case, I'm very in favor of, uh, for about 17 different reasons of, of legalizing. I think that's like a super important thing. We just passed an important milestone in California. It was interesting to hear you mention that you, you specifically focus on California for the, for the time being. Um, but I'm going to be, I'm going to be looking to you for some major education on a lot of these topics. So maybe we can get started with just like how you got into this in the first place. What got you interested in, I guess, weed in general, but also starting a business around it? It sounds, it sounds like it would be fun, but I know that there's so much regulation and detail uh, around it that it, it must be a lot harder than you maybe first anticipated. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, we, uh, we started in 2014 uh, when I went to Oaksterdam University. Actually, it's coming on the anniversary. It was right around Love Day where um, you know, there's some cold memo guidance on banking that people were really excited about. It was also the time about a month in of when Colorado first legalized. So we were watching from afar how adult use was going while California was still in, in medical land. And medical land for a while now, it's like almost 20 years. And going through o Oaksterdam was kind of like the inspiration as we, we met some dispensary owners who really needed better operations, leveraging technology. So you're going to need to break down some of these words for me. What's Oaksterdam? What's, when you say adult, do you mean recreational? Uh, yeah. 
all of these words I need to understand. Oh man, yeah, because there's a whole nother language here. Okay, Oaksterdam University is a cannabis college in Oakland. It's where you meet growers, teachers, uh, dispensary owners, uh, lawyers who have been advocating for cannabis for a very long time, but also teaches you kind of the day-to-day and what they deal with. So there's there's a million reasons that in general legalization, I think is it's a wave that seems to be going across the, the country and the world. Um, I don't think we have to spend very much time on that, but obviously medical uh, reasons were one of the first ones that I feel like people kind of planted a, a flag in, in in the ground and said like, at least for this use case, we should do it because there's all these conditions that um, where it can help, right? I mean, oh, that, yeah. that seems to have been the most successful, uh, at least like initial thing that got people over the hump, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it happened in San Francisco uh, in 96, uh, really championed uh, by this uh who we call the godfather of, uh, fairy godfather of cannabis, Dennis Perum, who lost his lover uh, in the HIV epidemic that swept through the, the city. He was uh, one of a handful of people with uh, Brownie Mary who were fighting for cannabis, medical cannabis, to be given to you know, people in the HIV group. That was where, you know, it really took root. And then authoring Prop 215, Dennis Perone opened it up to pretty much any medical uh, condition based off a recommendation from a doctor. And, and those two paragraphs is what has led us to you know the end of 2017. Now, when, when was it first banned in the States? It, the prohibition of cannabis has been going on for a very long time. Uh, the war on drugs has been an issue. It initially started when you know, the, the government <coughs> was really going after uh, minorities, targeting people of color, uh, primarily in the jazz community uh, back in the day. And that's how it, it really was a way to re-energize the government to, have, to fund a war on people that are of another color, that are using cannabis and you know, was rebranded as marijuana to go after more of a, a racial derogatory, you know, slang uh, for for the plant. So that would have been what in like the twenties or thirties or something. Yeah. It, yeah, is that yeah interesting? And and I think that since then, you know, obviously California in in the U.S. and and Colorado, as well as maybe Washington State, have been some of the the big proponents of moving towards recreational use. I mentioned Netherlands, like that's always been a country that. Uh, I lived there for a little bit. It was interesting uh, that over there, it's it's been legal for so long that it's really not a big deal. Most of the people who live there don't seem to really care or even do it that much, which I think um, goes to to another argument, which is just reducing the the taboo around it. This is why I think we should definitely lower the drinking age in, in the States as well. Would make a big difference in terms of uh, more responsible usage, less crime around all the activities of, of drug dealing. Um, so those are some of the other reasons, you know, besides the fact that it's just not really that dangerous, people have access to much more dangerous things uh, <laughs> that are, that are legal. So, uh, and then, and then most recently it seems like we're now starting to be able to measure now that 
places are legalizing it, what impact it has on how much revenue the government is able to collect, jobs that are being created. Those are things where we're now being able to measure those things in the in the states. What are you seeing on that side of things? Yeah, it's it's actually kind of jaw dropping when you really look at the the before and after. Uh, you, you mentioned re- tax revenue, but I think that diving deeper in that tax revenue, it depends on where that's going. You know, in Colorado, for instance, a lot of it goes back to the community. So imagine entire towns that are getting rebuilt, schools that are being rebuilt off of revenue that didn't exist before. Then you you look at it from um, the spending side uh, for local governments and state governments. They don't have to spend as much on arresting people with cannabis. They don't have to you don't have to go through the system. Um, you don't have to put people in jail. There's a lot of resources that are freed up by not having um, you know cannabis as a prohibited substance. And then from yeah. a, a public persona. Uh, you've you've seen a correlation of a decrease in the number of DUIs, but more importantly, which I think is kind of an epidemic that we are are not focusing on as a country, is the the opioid crisis. So when you see cannabis being opened up in these states, you now see a, a drop in the number of overdose deaths from opioids, mm. uh, which I think is one of the, the big 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 pluses. Explain that correlation. Well, you know, I guess when you look at it, people that are in pain uh, are given uh, opioids to to avoid it. Whereas cannabis, because you have the endocannabinoid system and cannabis has uh, basically the ability of providing those endocannabinoids with your your cannabis plant, uh, whether it's you're going for the THC, plants or CBD, there's, there's a lot of medicinal benefits within those cannabinoids in the plants that helps people with pain, uh, that helps people with stress, that helps people with, you know, a number of, a variety of medical issues. And it's not addictive. Whereas you have opioids, which is one of the most addictive products on the planet. Right. So if we can, yeah, if we can, if we can offer people, uh, some ways to deal with their pains that are not going to get them addicted to something that then brings them down the path of, you know, meth or cocaine or anything like that, 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 that's probably... That's probably a better solution. Yeah. I remember, you know, one of the first things that, you know, getting to know you back in the YC days, that really, this this is just my personal bias as a someone who loves design and graphic design, was I was so impressed with uh, how, just from the get-go, you had a really good understanding of how to make Meadow look and feel like something that felt trustable, uh, something that felt, uh, that, I mean, just the logo itself being this, beautiful like abstract purple and magenta kind of shape to me made it feel like something just so much more professional than what you typically think of when you think of marijuana related branding or cannabis related branding which tends to go in a in a very rastafarian direction sometimes or like something that's i don't know that people have their own kind of like biases towards that but you you brought something that allowed it to, to feel more professional. Th- that's a big challenge that you have to deal with because there's a lot of preconceived notions about cannabis in general. How did you guys get to that place and how did you figure out how to do that so quickly? Uh, well, I think having really good co-founders help. Uh, the logo design, the look, the feel is kind of the brainchild of my co-founder Harrison. Even coming up with the name Meadow <coughs> was... Um, 
was an exercise and, and all of us kind of just throwing a bunch of random ideas around and, and figuring out what we really wanted was like a safe place, meadow, grass, the, the, the logo is a flower. Uh, we wanted a pixelated flower, which had this element of technology to it, but provided a, a safe place for people to come and, and enjoy the grass. So it's, it's one of those things where uh, we worked on it for a while and it all came together. And I, I'm, I'm, sh- I'm assuming we were, we may have been smoking. I'm not, I don't remember, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, either way, the inspiration was there. And uh, I think uh, it, it's also for us, be, all of us are patients. So we know kind of what it, we'd had to do to, to get to smoke this plant. Um, and it hasn't been easy. So we wanted to make it as easy as possible for people and uh, approachable. And I think we did a pretty decent job. I appreciate the the kind words, sir. Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know what? I, I still have, you were passing around t-shirts. Somehow at some point during that time, you, you had a whole batch of t-shirts made and I ended up with the one and I, I jog in it every week. I, I love just the way it looks. I don't know what people think when they see me running by now that, now that you're getting more and more uh, notoriety as a brand. Well, I think I, the cool thing is it's like there's no, there's nothing but the flowers on there. So if they know, it, they're at least they're good people. Yeah, yeah. They um, know. So to, to dive in practically to like what you're providing, um, you, it sounds like you have quite a few different elements to it. From the consumer's perspective, there's the Meadow website, and there is the Meadow MD platform where you can get a medical license. Is that correct? Yep. That's what the consumer sees. They can they can shop uh, at, from local dispensaries. Um, and one thing that we should probably mention that I think uh, I would love to get a little bit more of an education on is what's the difference between the regulations that you have to deal with as a platform versus what dispensaries have to deal with or, or anyone who's a grower or anyone who, uh, as they say in the industry, touches the plant. Can you give me a little bit of a breakdown in terms of what that means for your business? Sure. Yeah, I guess the, the other part of our business is the B2B side, uh, which is really Meadow Platform. It primarily serves retailers at the moment. We happen to start the last mile focusing on deliveries. As if you look at California, probably half the volume comes from uh, delivery services, um, medical collectives, uh, getting patients their medicine in their home. And the other half are brick and mortar retail dispensaries where you go in and, and you shop. And for us, uh, I, I guess something, you know, as a founder, when you go in, you're like, all right, I'm going to build some, some cannabis software. The regulatory side and the amount of regs that you have to go through are, are pretty large because building software for, for compliance uh, has specific sets of rules at a state level, but also at a local level. For California, you know, being the sixth largest economy in the world, it, it's the way you do things in LA are different than the way you do things in Oakland, but they still have to go under one umbrella framework, uh, which the state has provided, which is called MAUCRSA, which is the Medical and Adult Use Cannabis Regulation Safety Act uh, that now is in effect starting January 1, 2018. Um, and so what happens now, if you're still with me, you have a, so. a, a pretty segmented supply chain, uh, starting with the, the cultivators uh, or farmers, which uh, tracks every plant, whether it's adult use or medical plant, which then travels down to uh, the manufacturer, which processes the, the material 
into either jarred flour or it gets put into a concentrate that then is mixed with an edible. Either way, after that stage, uh, you have a final product that goes to the distributor. The distributor uh, is then in charge of uh, collecting taxes from both the uh, manufacturer, farmer, uh, and also the retailer. There's a 15% excise tax that's uh, on the average market value of the price that you're selling it, the, the retailer for. And then there's a cultivation tax. Once the retailer buys it from a distributor, then it goes into the inventory, which is tracked, and then is sold to uh, a patient or an adult use consumer, which is tracked. And so you have this entire supply chain that is now enacted starting this year, which hasn't been enacted before. We're on totally, completely new implementation of rules that had no beginning before now. Yeah, that, that, that launched in, as far as California is concerned, like January 2nd or something? Jan- January. January 1. Yeah, but what's interesting is yeah. some counties aren't ready for it. So there was a slow rollout in San Francisco. Uh, January 6th was the date where the first adult use cannabis sales mm. were processed. And what was cool is it was processed at uh, Green Cross, which is one of the oldest dispensaries in San Francisco, powered by Meadow. Wow, that's awesome. Woohoo! <laughs> now, one thing that I've always heard about, and I don't know if it applies to California or other places, is like a lot of these, whether it's dispensaries or other people in the ecosystem, uh, can't process payments the same way that any other business can. Can you explain? Is that something that you guys had to deal with or is that not a problem in California? I hear that a lot of companies have to deal with cash because banking at the federal level has its own set of regulations. Like, How does that work? Yeah. So, you know, there is a problem with banking. There are, uh, I guess there are two parts of the cannabis industry, if you want to kind of have it. One uh, is if you touch the plant, and then the the other part is the ancillary, if you don't touch the plant. Uh, We're on the ancillary side, so we've been okay getting bank accounts and getting um, banking and accepting payments. We do accept payments in cash. For our dispensary partners, though, it's a little bit more difficult. They usually have other companies which are, you know, in charge of payroll, in charge of all of the expenses that they incur that have the banking piece, uh, which kind of creates a uh, a mechanism for a dispensary to to conduct their own banking services to fund their operations. Where it's more challenging is on the payment side to the consumer or to the patient. And that's really around, um, you know, being able to accept, you know, debit card payments. Credit cards are pretty much non-existent, but the cash or on-site ATMs is is pretty common. And you know, that's because no one wants to process cannabis payments, even if it's legal at a state level, uh, because banking and is that's on because, a federal level. Yeah. Right. So on the federal level, there's some. What are the federal laws that are preventing banks from? working with cannabis companies? I mean, the fact that it's a Schedule One substance is one of the biggest reasons. Um, there is some guidance the Cole Memo put out on, on some of the banking, but it's, it's, uh, no, one's, no one's really touching it. You're seeing like state charter banks that are popping up uh, that are helping the, the payments in, within the state. That's kind of interesting. 
the state treasurer, John Chung, is, is looking at that for California. We'll see if that gets some traction because you know, we're looking at a six, seven to $8 billion industry at the end of this year. And you know they're going to have a lot of taxes and cash to deal with. And cash right. is expensive. You have to handle it. You have to move it. You have to touch it. There's, just, there's all, of, all parts of cash, uh, the security aspect of it. You know, imagine bringing a million dollars in taxes every quarter in a duffel bag to your local, right. you know, s- s- tax it's department. It's it's what people do. It's it's literally yeah. it's 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 expensive when you think about it that way. But it seems like the Schedule C thing is kind of like a linchpin. Is is there any action on on the horizon of changing that? I don't see. I don't think. I don't think so. But we'll see. There, things are changing every day. Really. So it's really going to be a deployment on a state-by-state level for, for the foreseeable future. I believe so. I think it's really about medical. I mean, Vermont just went about a week and a half ago. That was really cool because that was a legislative change, right? All these other uh, states have been a vote by the people. And now you're seeing Vermont, which is, oh, no, we're going to just get together, legislators and get together and say, all right, let's, let's make this uh, legal now. And so it's giving... Uh, cities and states the ability of fast tracking and not have to wait for the next you know election or big cycle to add a a prop a proposition in there. And do you think that that's motivated primarily by the tax revenue that that they could charge? I think it's on all the stuff that they could collect. I mean, yeah. I, it's like imagine your city, your state where, and this is very common, where your coffers are becoming you know lower and lower. Your benefits and pensions that you're paying out are continuing to, to increase. Um, jobs aren't being created. Uh, there's a stagnation in, um, uh, in growth. And then you look at the states that are going legal like Colorado and things are going well. And uh, you have to think twice about whether or not you, you open this up for uh, for your state to to bring in that revenue and to to help your people. So when I go to Meadow, can I actually check out using a, a credit card, or when does the payment happen for me? A pa- the payment happens on the point of delivery. So you'll it'll most oh, likely okay. be a cash uh, exchange on uh, at the delivery. It's fascinating that you know you guys chose to focus on California as a starting point, like. Was that a hard decision to make? Did you decide that from the start, or or what's your plan in terms of expanding? California is our focus. That's it. California. I mean, there's and why do you make that decision? Well, because all the the laws are different in all the it's other just states. Too much, too much work to try and get it working everywhere. I at the think same time. so. I feel like I don't know as a. You know, someone that cares deeply about product, and I'm, all of our our teammates do, uh, my co-founders do. You know, once you start opening up to other states, and you look at legislation that changes, you start making compromises into your system. What works well for one area might not work well for another. Our hope is that California will be the way that other states look at adopting their frameworks, and that makes then the, the software easier to to expand to but we're we're trying to stay focused and california keeping our uh, norcal and socal and all the different counties that we have around here is keeping us plenty busy what if they what if this uh 
vote to split up California into three states or six states goes through. <laughs> not, <laughs> California, not that I don't sit. Not, <laughs> yeah, not that I think it's gonna it's gonna happen anytime soon. Oh but, man, um, that would be. You know, California. It, it just continues to amaze me. You know, that would basically cut off. You know, some areas would be the agricultural center. Some areas would be like the cultural yeah. center. It just it'd be crazy. It's so ridiculous. I'm curious, like the type of stuff that you're building every day with the software and and the back end that you're you're building to power uh, both both the consumer facing, but also the the B two B side of what you're building. These are a lot of the same things that I think about all the time building the technology for Lumi. What are the things that I'm just curious? I would have never <laughs> thought about that you had to build. Or that people don't consider when they're going into this industry. Yeah, I mean, in in some respects, cannabis has been the the most largely ignored, stigmaed substance uh, in our lifetime. That's it's been um, demonized, right? And that's just on a, on a personal level. When you think on the the business side, you know, there aren't many software companies like, all right, let's make a mo- let's make money or let's build something in the cannabis industry. A lot of people shied away from it. And because of that, there's a sincere lack of severe lack of infrastructure. And also because the rules are being rewritten, the, the process, uh, the procedures, everything has changed. And when you have the ability of applying technology uh, to this, oh man, it's like you're, you're able to kind of skip, you know, having landlines and going to mobile but you still have to build like the satellites. You still have to build a way to launch the satellites. You have to build a lot of that stuff. And I think in, in, in where we're, we're looking at this, when we were at the B2C side, we realized there's just, there's so many more tools and harder problems than the consumer being able to push a button and get cannabis. There was all the other pieces behind it to get it there. And it's, it's changed significantly in how to do that. Well, and the fact that the regulations are changing as you're building this, like were there assumptions that you made early on in terms of the, the architecture of your system that you had to fundamentally change? Like that from a pure software development has to be a difficult thing to deal with, right? I have to give all that credit to Rick, who's Rick and Scott and Harrison. Uh, I mean, they're my co-founders who are on the technical side. Um, I'm the guy that's more on kind of everything else. And the way that we've been able to work so well together is because, I guess, getting as much information on the regs as possible. We end up hosting uh, a lot of uh, events at Meadow where we talk about regulations with the California Growers Association, the California Cannabis Industry Association, Normal. I mean, all these different groups within the the cannabis ecosystem uh, we host at Meadow. And by staying close to that, it's been able, it's helped us get a really firm grasp of how these regulations are being shaped, what's about to be voted on, how things are changing, but also taking the feedback that we get here and then share that with the legislators and regulators uh, because they don't know. And, you know, so we end up act, acting as a bridge to pass this information back and forth and able to then, you know, use it as part of our roadmap to build what we anticipate will be uh, how things are done. And that's what we've been doing for the last three years. Like, what's that saying? If you want a tall building, you have to have a deep foundation. It's, <laughs> it's all foundation. Yeah. Um, the, I guess the one probably good thing about the industry that you're in is that the people who 
want to be a part of it are are really looking for solutions. Like you, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that's an assumption, but there's maybe a little bit more of like if you build it, they will come type of situation that's possible in this industry because it it was so lacking. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's all like you know you got to skate to where the puck's going to go, not where it is. That's Wayne Gretzky right there. <laughs> it's a classic quote. It's classic. I like it a lot. And it's it's really something that we we looked at because um, we knew adult use was going to come. We knew medical was changing. The last three years in California cannabis legislation is is profoundly different than the last 17 before it. Everything is now different. And it's it'll be interesting to see how this evolves because we're not done. There's still a lot to be worked on in legislation. When you think about how much legislation is around the alcohol industry or the pharmaceutical industry, we we have just you know hit chapter one in this. It's going to be a pretty pretty highly regulated product and substance for a while. I think. Give me a sense of of the scale of Meadow today. What what are the metrics that you you keep track of that you're that you're willing to share what what how have you been able to grow it in the past few years is it the number of dispensaries is it the number of users or how does it all how do you think about that uh i mean i i think a lot about just there's 10 of us on the team and i think a lot in terms of headcount and like how happy they are and like what we're working on um that's like probably number one the second thing is really around i guess in product in product land, you're, we're we're always thinking about how many territories we're in, um, and how compliant our system works within that territory. So, number of dispensaries is a big one, and then how many patients uh, or consumers now uh, that are coming through. That's something that we think about. Uh, it's a combination of metrics uh, that you know we put together. But team happiness, how many partners we have, how many patients we're serving. Hey, can you give me a sense of, of scale, like basically since YC, like how, how much has that grown? Uh, a fair amount. <laughs> <laughs> we, don't, we don't have to go there if you don't want to. Um, that's okay. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's growing and I think it's going to grow some more this year. That's cool. Um, but we, we work yeah, with I mean, 95 I, dispensaries across the state. Yeah, you know what? I was uh, <laughs> I was on Meadow earlier checking out the the site, and uh, I saw that there's uh, there's dog treats for uh, how does that work? They're, are they are they patients? What do they count as? Yeah, <laughs> there's dog treats that that have CBD. <laughs> yeah, I think I need oh, to get man. some for for our dog. We have an office dog who uh, who's a, who gets a little mad at the mailman, and I think he could maybe take it easy. Oh yeah, try the CBD dog treats. It's one of those things where dogs and pets have so much personality. They also have a fair amount of pain. And we find that there's some pets that have anxiety or have issues the doctors have, you know, know pretty well about how to, you know, prescribe them, but it's a growing segment of this industry serving pets they seem to benefit from medical cannabis. Break, break down the difference here because is it true that, is CBD uh, regulated differently? Like if it's isolated, that's something that you can sell that keeps without cha- changing. The same? Really? Yeah. Because that's one component. So the, the, you know, THC versus CBD are the two like big active components. Um, 
and I guess, how do you, I mean, for people who don't know, CBD is, is not uh, psychoactive. It has relaxing properties. But the, the, the point is that um, you can buy some of those products uh, differently, right? Yeah. The, they, 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 they have slightly different regulations. So can you actually give your dog THC? Is that, is that allowed? I mean, what's interesting about the cannabis laws right now for adult use, uh, it's more than just you can just buy it, right? You can possess and hold on to up to an ounce of cannabis. You can give someone up to an ounce of cannabis. So if you wanted to give an ounce of cannabis to your dog, no one's going to stop I you. see. Um, I think it's more important like what the ratio is and what you're treating it for. And so I would probably try it on your dog, man. See if it works. <laughs> then then do I think then he interview. Could, I think he could he could definitely use some CBD. I'll tell you that much. We're going to we're going to have to try that as a as an experiment. Oh, it's going to be great. Now you said you said that you were you were mixing some things earlier. Um, there's a whole aspect of this that I'm fascinated with, which is kind of the the gourmet, the the like. There's something about the way that uh, Meadow and and I, I feel like the the industry as a whole is going to try and elevate it into this direction that is more to do with flavors and sensations and um, mixing things in different ways that has led to kind of an explosion of all kinds of different uh, products, whether they're edible or, or not. I know that the Meadow website is very, is very like uh, filter. You can filter th- by all these different ways of uh, breaking those things down. It's, it's one of my favorite things to do. What, do you, what does that mean to you? Like, how do you think about that? How do you, fi- you were doing some mixology. What does that, what does that mean? Uh, I mean, have you ever made a glass of milk and put some chocolate syrup in there? Sure. There you go. No, I'm kidding. Um, it's a cocktail, right? Uh, so what I ended up doing, I was mixing in some ice water hash, uh, the, a red Congolese ice water hash. So I guess you're familiar with the, the cannabis plant. Um, if, when you dive a little bit deeper, what's what we're really smoking are the trichomes on on the plant. And those are resin heads uh, that the plant secretes over the course of its flowering stage. And those resin heads um, typically combust at, uh, they call it decarboxylation, when you heat the substance up to a certain temperature that then activates the cannabinoids, like your THC, your CBD. Uh, There's 28 more that we know of. There's probably hundreds more that we don't even, haven't even scratched the surface on like CBN, CBG, I mean, there's THCA, there's uh, components of cannabinoids that are activated, you know, through decarboxylation or not. And they have different feelings depending on those ratios that you're using. So once you get those trichomes off, or, or if you can do combustion, you can also do extraction. So extraction can be solventless, where you're using ice water, where it's like, think about a ripe apple tree that you shake and the, the ripest apple comes off, right? But the ones that aren't ready stay on the tree. The one that just came off are, are most likely the, the resin heads that are the biggest uh, or the most mature. And you can pull those by using ice water. So that's sol- solventless. You can also pull that from uh, CO2, 
if you're using solvents like butane, you can do that as well, but then you have to go through a process to pull the butane out. We're getting to a point where you're able to separate all these different components of the cannabis plant and then, you know, put them back together. And this is all mm. within in a very short time. Uh, but what I was doing early was taking ice water hash, which is used by bubble, uh, it's called bubble hash, which is using ice water to knock off the, tr- uh, the trichomes that then you sieve and then you let it dry. Uh, so I'll sprinkle that on top of uh, some, you know, a tangy cross. And then I s- rolled that up and sparked that. Now, I seem to remember your, was your wife doing some, had like a cooking blog or something? Is that still a thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she has licked my spoon, but uh, she was, she has an edible company, man. Wow. Lick my spoon. So that was well, like it's a, called a, Mellows. A re- recipes. It's called uh, Get Mellows. Mellows.com. The marshmallows. Yeah, Mellows. Remember? Right. We were giving yeah. the marshmallows. Wait, I'm looking this up now. So tell me, how's, how's that going for her? Oh, it's great. I mean, it's, it's, it's great in the sense where people really like the product. Where it gets a little bit hairy is the regulatory world. Trying to get permits, trying to um, you know, work with the city to figure out a space and then you know get a license to sell to dispensaries before because it was medical collective you can sell within the collective uh, or donate within the collective but now it's a different world so if if you know if i were looking to start a business in this area whether it's edibles whether it's you know trying to empower the industry as a whole like what are the big holes that are still remaining what are the things that really need to be solved or what is the advice that you would give an entrepreneur that's trying to get started in this area? I mean, I think overarchingly stigma is a really big piece of this. Normalizing cannabis into, you know, seeing how other industries do it, but then taking, you know, some of the best that can be applied here and make it better, right? It, it's it's a tough one though. This industry is not for the faint of heart in the terms of the, the constant change and the regulatory. But what's really cool is I think it's, you know, brand new space. So you're really building what people do need to use. Like people are looking for tools. People are looking for ways to make their jobs easier and this more efficient. I've heard of some supply chains being as sophisticated. Like you go into Gap, you buy a T-shirt. It, you already know in their factory where they need to make more of it. And you think about the the sophistications in that supply chain and where cannabis is now, there's still a ton of room to figure out uh, how to make this work. But you have to play within the rules of the regulations. We actually have a few customers who buy packaging from Lumi who are in this area. Yeah. Um, One of them that we really love that just the design uh, is called Sunday Goods, and they're based in Arizona. And I just, I really don't know much about the details of how different from state to state it is uh, or what the regulations are like in, in Arizona particularly. But it seems like, you know, one of the downsides but also benefits of the fragmentation is that there's some opportunity in a lot of different places uh, to create something that satisfies the, like, the need of that particular region. Yeah, um, exactly. Because that because that that just hasn't, until we have this, you know, single kind of, legal, uh, federal level solution, it seems like it's going to have to spring up everywhere. So, so 
each state needs its own version of these different things, right? Yeah, exactly. So what are the things, what are the states that are coming up uh, that, are, that are the next big ones uh, on, the, on that path? Well, Vermont was the big one. Uh, New Jersey <coughs> is coming up. A lot of states that legalized earlier are now going through that legislative process. So we'll see some states starting to turn on, sort of like Massachusetts. It'll be interesting to see how they go through. Um, Michigan will be a big one. I mean, it's it's all starting, uh, not all starting, but the momentum is is building, which is really good to see. It, it is a real opportunity that it, I think it's very rare in business where you have this type of, if you build it, they will come kind of attitude. Like a lot of times I think that that is actually bad advice. Uh, you, if you build them, <laughs> if you build it, nobody will come. <laughs> not necessarily, but but in this case, there's there's lots of people who, who need a legal solution and that just doesn't exist everywhere yet. So fascinating. If people want to find out more about Meadow, they could go to getmeadow.com. They can go to MeadowMD, but that's not really necessary anymore, right? Is that platform going to be changing? Well, medical still is a big part of, of this movement. Um, so MeadowMD will still be there, mainly because if you want to carry more, uh, you can carry mm. up to eight ounces as a medical patient. Uh, you gotcha. can, you know, grow more plants. Uh, you can get a state card, which then gives you an exemption to sales tax. It also gives you access to higher potency products and the, the medical specific uh, products that aren't available for adult use. So that's at MeadowMD.com. Yeah. And people can research that. Is there anything else uh, you want to share with people if they want to join your events? That, that sounds fascinating. How do they do that? I just got to know someone that's been to an event. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just, just hear about it. I mean, um, it's, <laughs> yeah. Or they can go to our like, Eventbrite page or Meetup page. <laughs> makes sense. Any other things you want to you wanna share with people before we sign off? Yeah, I mean, I think for people that are in as in love with this plan or curious about the plan as as I am, you know, come out, talk to people, light up a joint, share it, smoke it. I think it's the stigma only is erased through our participation and you know knowing more about the plant. So I, I encourage everyone to to step forward and or run or show themselves. It'll be great. Uh, it's always a pleasure talking to you. Thanks a lot for coming on. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, if you got something useful out of it, I would love to hear what that was. Consider writing a short review, could be just a sentence long, by going to iTunes and searching for Well Made. I want to hear it all. I want to hear good, bad. I want to hear your constructive criticisms. I am just trying to make this show as useful as possible for you. So tell us what you think. That is the very best way that you can support the show. Thanks, and see you next time.